We want when people come here, this to be an overwhelming sense of home. Because biblical Christianity at its core is relational. If you are going to lead, you have to first be, you have to first be led. Hey, welcome to Lead Talks with the Craigs. I'm Craig Mosgrove. And Chad Craig. Yeah, we're really, really excited for episode six, man. It's been a journey. It's been a new journey. Yeah. This is season one, right? But we're already in episode six, Pastor Chad, and uh, we're so grateful. You know, I uh, we got some good feedback after the message to husbands. You know, episode five, we looked at a husband's wow. life and love in leadership inside the home, right? And and let me just say, it was not just positive feedback from women, like, oh, man, you socked it to my husband, right? <laughs> but, like, it was some men responding how grateful they were for it. So what is... Praise God. Yeah, so what is Lead Talks of the Craigs? So in order to lead, you must first... Be led. You must first be led. So we've been talking in season one about kingdom leadership. Kingdom right? leadership. What does it mean to be an effective leader in the kingdom of God? So if anybody's listening, watching today, who exerts influence in any way over any person, their leader. That's and, it. Um, it's been a, a journey. And so we're so grateful for you being on the journey with us. We had really good feedback from episode five. And so we're going to uh, now transition and address the wives. So I'll trust you will be praying for Pastor Chad and I as we uh, come on, as we share today. Um, I asked my wife to look over my notes to cut out anything that was hard to hear. So in conclusion, if you want to pray with, I'm just kidding. <laughs> How much you left with that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Are your notes the same as mine? Yeah. Yeah. So um, there's one word in this text, Pastor Chad, in Ephesians 5. We've been using this kind of as the backdrop of our discussion. There's one word that becomes the difficult word. It's the second word in verse 22, and that is the word submit. Mm. And it's so difficult for us to hear in a marriage relationship because it's hard to give up anything. And I understand that submission, the word, the idea, the concept has become sort of a, a lightning rod issue. I was reading a news article from ABC News that said a wife's submission to a husband is a dangerous thing to hear or to even believe in. And it was written, catch this, by a theologian who believed the Bible doesn't say what the Bible says, right? And so we have a lot of proliferation Oh, those of people are growing yes. in our context. A lot of these, right? And so when it comes down to it, I just wanted to kick off today by saying I don't think we should ever be frightened by what the Bible says. Like, we shouldn't as believers, uh, we serve a loving God who has our best interest at heart. Yeah. And sometimes we feel like we have to be Jesus' PR firm and protect His image or protect His reputation. God doesn't want to hurt us. God wants things to flow smoothly in the marriage relationship. God is the author of marriage. He always thinks highest for us. So we never have to run away. We never have to shy away from the Bible, nor should we think, and I think this is the key, think that we should have to manipulate the Bible in any way to accommodate it, to make it say whatever we want to say. So we've been given the Bible. We who've been given the Bible should never be the ones to try to change the Bible. And that's important because Jesus said he's looking for followers that's not ashamed of him yep. or his words. Yep, that's right. That's right. So it comes down to this, right? What does the church think of the Bible? Or to be more direct, what do you think of the Bible that's listening? Like, what do I think of the Bible? Is it God's inspired word? And if so, we don't shy away from it. We embrace it because, again, we want to discover what God's best interest is for us. Now, all of that being said, Pastor Chad, the reason I think people bristle— against the idea of submission is because this text has been abused. 
No doubt. Ephesians 5 has absolutely been abused, right? It's been abused by uh, a couch potato tyrants who sort of feel like they're the Taliban lord and they tell their wives what to do and they submit. And there are some men who have this, I don't know, domestic prowess, so to speak, and they believe the Bible kind of condones an overbearing attitude, and, and which it doesn't, right? The Bible does not condone that. And what happens when a husband is this way, what I've learned is, is that what happens is a wife, she begins to be crushed in her spirit. And when a wife becomes crushed in her spirit, she becomes silent, and then she therefore suffers in silence. Or yep. some of the other personality types, yeah, they then rebel. Yeah. Right? And they yeah. say, absolutely not. It's yep. going to be my way. And they go to the opposite end of being silent. Right. And in and, and, and that first scenario, if the woman silences or goes into silence, then what happens is the man kind of resorts to silence back. And then what happens is the husband and wife who are not communicating and they've gone through this silent treatment, which is then becomes devastating for the the whole relationship. So I heard a couple quick joke. I heard a couple uh, who gave each other the silent treatment like four or five straight days. They wouldn't say a word to each other and they're leaving little notes to each other. Right. No one wants to like humble themselves and be the first one. So how little notes. were these notes? Because I write little notes. Is, is that is me? true. Is it? <laughs> that is true. So they're, they're not willing to talk. They're writing these little notes. After this five little five-day stint, the man had to go out of town, right? And so he writes a note to his wife saying, I have to leave town. Town, I want you to wake me up at 5 o'clock tomorrow morning. Well, the next day, 5 o'clock comes, 6 o'clock comes, 7 o'clock comes, 8 o'clock comes, 9 o'clock in the morning, he sits up in the bed, and light's coming through the windows, and he knows he's missed his flight. Mm-hmm. He's angry. He's about to lay into his wife verbally, and he sees a note that's over his bedstand behind him. And he goes over to the note, and it says, it's 5 o'clock, wake up. <laughs> <laughs> no communication so, verbally, huh? Uh, so so that's what we're talking about today, right? We're talking about husband and wife. And um, when you look at verse 22, Pastor Chad, wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Notice this. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Obviously, this section of Scripture, Pastor Chad, is dealing with the family, particularly the family roles. Chapter 5, verse 22, all the way to chapter 6, verse 4, he he addresses different sections of the family. He hits wives and husbands and parents and children even servants that were prevalent in that day and age. Uh And the one thing that I think is striking to us as we go through that list is that it is just a short section. And I I wanted our listeners to think about that today. Winston Churchill once said that great concepts are simple and can be expressed in single words. So when Paul says, husbands, love your wives, that's it, just one word, love. Not fix the car, not rake the yard, not mow the grass. Love your wives. But then he goes to the wives, and again, it's simple. He doesn't say, wives, clean the house, pay the bills, wash the clothes, do the groceries. He says, submit to your own husband. So let me just say this from the outset. Submission is not oppression. Submission is not slavery. Right. It's not right for somebody to abuse that. In fact, submission is a dignified role by God. Right? A dignified role. And so I want you, Pastor Chad, when you think about that word submission, just to kind of kick us off, if submission's not oppression, not slavery, what comes to mind for you when, when you hear me say submission is a dignified role? Like what, what comes to mind when you hear that? Yeah, that's a great question, isn't it? And um, 
how important it is for us to consider it, right? As obviously we're both married, but dealing with married people and people single considering marriage. Mm -hmm. And um, submission, when I hear that word, and once I understand the biblical heart of God behind it, one thing I think that gets overlooked is that submission is protection. Yeah. It really is protection. When you think about from the beginning how God demonstrates through his word how he set the context of earth and reality to happen and the lack of submission adam and eve had to god and his plan it removed protection from their life and so submission this is not as you said a a subjugation and and a you know degrading and holding someone down it's to provide a context that actually liberates and empowers someone yeah sometimes we forget that when you submit to another person or in a context, there is a liberation. There's a liberty. It liberates you mm-hmm. from some responsibility. Yeah. Clarifies it, you in other responsibilities. Correct. Yeah. And so that's some of the protection. It is, And also when I hear submission, I think of that freedom mm-hmm. that – when we begin to take on roles that God's not designed for us to take on, that actually leads to subjugation and restriction. And the biblical idea of su- submission, exhaustion, all the yeah, yeah. overextended, yeah. Uh, wrong measurement standards for us or value standards for us. And so when I think of submission, the two things I think about now because it's so often overlooked is that submission is to protect. Mm. That's why it's designed by God. But then also submission liberates. Mm. It liberates us, uh, and there's a freedom pr- provided. You know, like right now, you know, in our city that we're in, right? Because I'm not the mayor, but I su- submit to the mayor. But the fact that I'm not mayor and submit liberates me from all that he's got yeah. to focus on and be concerned about in his role. Correct. And it's the same that that in a wife submitting to God's design for the husband, it liberates her from having to carry that burden and that worry. And, um, you know, I'll I'll probably bring up again, but in the beginning when, when God blessed Adam and Eve, right, he blessed them both to express his image and dominion. Yeah. So any idea of what submission looks like in the marriage context, it's not that the woman has lost value and mission in the kingdom. Mm Mm-hmm. It means that in this relating to one another in order to fulfill the mission of the kingdom. Right. Right. That God has designated roles for how to move forward in effective dependence upon him and his design to see the mission of God go forward. Yep. So that's sort of what comes to mind, you know, initially for me. Let me, as we explore this topic today, uh, sort of a kind of part two, right, of, yeah. of episode five right. as we spoke primarily dealing with husbands last time. Not everyone uh, that's watching or listening is married. Right. Okay. So what would you say to them so that they don't tune out what we're going to discuss and yeah. continue to discuss today? I think it's perfect. So so I just wanted, obviously, our listeners to know we're aware that not everybody listening is married. And some people— And that's like, okay. Yeah. And some people, when you're like—it's like church. When you do a family series, they roll their eyes. Oh, great. A series about husbands and wives. And I don't fit in that category. Um, others— maybe divorced or or still single, whatever the case. And um, 
I want you to know this section of Scripture in Ephesians 5 is also for other people because what it does is reinforce the response that we, the church, are to have towards the Lord Jesus. Right. So that's that's my kind of prerogative today is that the 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 marriage relationship is to mirror the relationship Christ has with his church. And so when we look at this passage, okay, marriage, Paul says, is to be a reflection of Christ. Okay. Another note that I started thinking about is the rules, though stated simply, can be difficult to pull off. Like it's simple to say, husbands love your wives, but now try loving your wife like Jesus loved the church. Like to say submit is easy to say. But try submitting to your husbands as unto the Lord. And because of that difficulty in that, many people, even Christian people, are forestalling marriage. Mm. All right. And so they go, wow, I just hadn't found anybody yet. And I and I, I was a young adult pastor, so I wanted to kind of hit this for a moment right. for years. And they said, well, man, I've just never found anybody. Nobody's quite up to par. Nobody's up to standard. Um, and and I, you know, I the people that I've met for years, I've heard this, right? Even in large churches, you know, we're obviously seven years into a church plant, but previous to this, I served in two very large churches, and I would hear young people go all the time, I can't find a Christian woman, or a woman, or women who say, man, there's no good men around. And and I understand where you're coming from, but women, you're going to have to stop waiting for the Messiah, like he came and went. His name's Jesus. So you're going to you're going to have to settle, and I don't mean settle in settling sake. I got major pushback on that, Pastor Chad, recently on one of my social media accounts. Oh, Pastor Craig's telling us to settle. I didn't say settle. I said you're going to have to settle for somebody less than Jesus. No doubt. Right? And part of the magic of marrying a person is discovering that person and then learning to adjust in life. Right? Yeah. Being a learner. Growing to love. Yeah, or absolutely. growing to learn what respect or yes. submission looks and like. And to me, that's the grand adventure in many ways, more than one way, right? It's a wonderful adventure. And so what I want to do in, in these three verses is look at submission, but give us four attributes of biblical mm, submission. Okay. So last week, or last last episode, we looked at the, the three M's of the husband's love, right? Yep. We looked at the manner and the meaning and the mission. Today, I want to look at the four kind of attributes of biblical submission. And, and first, Pastor Chad, is that submission is personal. It's personal. So Paul says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So what is submission? So submission's a military term. I don't want that to scare you. Let me I'll explain that in a minute. But it means this idea to place oneself under or to subordinate oneself. And this is what I found so amazing Paul uh, pa- Pastor Chad is that in Greek, which is the the New Testament, yeah. it's written this is in the middle voice. And you say what is middle? We don't have middle voice in English. Middle voice means that the subject is the one that acts himself or herself. So the idea of the middle voice is something you do yourself. You're not forced to do. You're not coerced to do. Yeah. It's something you willingly do. So this is you willingly are able to submit to your husband, right? Mm-hmm. You're not coerced to do this. You're not forced to do this. Now, before I get a little bit deeper into kind of the meaning of that word, I do believe it's kind of meaningful, Pastor Chad, for us to get the background of the New Testament era and to understand the role of women in ancient times, okay? Because we might have people that are listening right now that have been conditioned in some sense or discipled in some sense by maybe even modern feminist movements or or at least open to listening to such things. And so women, I just, if you're a woman and listening, let me sum it up by saying you owe your liberation and your freedom not to Gloria Steinem or Kate Millett, like to the Lord Jesus Christ himself, because 
Jesus gave dignity and honor to women in an area in women in, in which women were not just sidelined, they were non-existent in that culture. So 2,000 years ago, Pastor Chad, in Roman culture, the Greek culture, Greco-Roman culture, the role of women didn't even exist. So men were autocratic. Women, right, inside of culture were surrendering, acquiescent, and that's the way society was all around them. So women were excluded from Roman citizenship. So they were placed on the level of a child or a slave, a criminal. So in Roman law, husbands had the right to sell their wives into slavery Mm. if they wanted to. They could have them capital punishment if they chose. So I, I found this this week. One Roman statesman named Cicero, if you heard of that name, he said, our ancestors made it a rule that women, because of their weak intellects, should have guardians take care of them. So you can see what now is happening in the New Testament, mm-hmm. right? In terms of the dignification, women weren't included in the census. I never knew that. Hmm. So in the population of Rome, they did not even consider women to be in population, right? Didn't even count. They didn't bear their own names. They took the, the feminized form of their father's name. So if dad was Julius, Julius Caesar, firstborn was Julia, her dad's name. If dad had a secondborn, her name was Secunda. Secunda means second. Hmm. If his dad had a third daughter, Tertia. Tertia just means third. So women didn't even bear their own names. Nobody asked a bride or a groom in that culture if they loved each other. Love each other? What does that have to do with anything? It was so secondary, Pastor Chad, because marriage was contractual. So a, a cynical Roman kind of jest sort of sims up this mentality. And I'm quoting, you ready? Mm-hmm. Marriage, writes this person, brings only two happy days. The day when the husband first clasped his wife to his breast and the day when he lays her in the tomb. Wow. That's the Greco-Roman culture of 2,000 years ago. Now let's leave that shift to another culture at the time of Jesus, and that's the Jewish culture. That's the culture of the New Testament. So theoretically, no nation had a higher ideal of marriage than Judaism. But while they maintained a high deal of marriage, they had a very low idea of women in general. So watch this, a morning prayer that Jews prayed, men, lengthy prayer. Here's part of it. Are you ready? Could you imagine praying this every day? Thank you, God. Thank you that you made me not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. That was like what Jewish men pray. Starting the day off. Can you, can you imagine? Him. Like, thank God I'm not a chick. Amen. And we're yeah. hearing about masculine, te- you know. <laughs> Masculinity? Yeah. So now now part of that, Pastor Chad, and I, I thought, it, I know I'm taking a little bit of time here, but I wanted our, our, I thought it was informative. Part of that in Judaism was because there was two rabbis that I that, that we've mentioned at Dwelling Place several times. Even. Yeah. Hillel was one of them. Aqaba was another. They believed that a husband could divorce their wife for no reason at all. Burnt toast. Yep. And all he did was give two witnesses, certificate of divorce, she's gone. Whereas a woman had absolutely no rights whatsoever, least of all the right to divorce her actual husband. So a woman couldn't divorce her husband unless he became a leper, an apostate, or engaged in a disgusting trade. Other than that, she's, she's bound for life. Husband could divorce, remarry. In one instance, 24 wives a man had, one after the other in the Roman world that I came across. So it got crazy. Now that's the culture. Mm -hmm. Now watch this. Enter Jesus Christ. And we see immediately that women and the Gospels, women played a huge role. Luke said many women follow Jesus. Yes. Many women. And prominent, which I'll probably speak to in a moment. Yeah, yeah, you speak to that. They felt drawn to him. 
Okay, and and can I add? Obviously, none of them had any problems submitting to their Lord Jesus as their Lord. Also, in the New Testament, women were treated by Jesus with grace. Woman caught in adultery, Lord was with her. Right? He wasn't scathing. He didn't. He wasn't. He was scathing towards her accusers. Correct. Not towards her. Where are your accusers? I have none. He said, "You are without sin. Cast the first stone." Right? They're all embarrassed. They all essentially leave. And he's there with Jesus. Jesus goes to the well of Samaria, John 4, talking to the woman at the well. I don't know if you've ever caught this before, but it says when the disciples came from the city to the well, they marveled because he spoke with a woman. Correct. So these Which means Jew- the culture around, right? Yeah, so these Jews guys, upon I can't believe he's talking to a woman publicly because that wasn't done. The Messiah talking to a woman. No wonder they felt drawn to him. And then even the type. Yeah. The type of woman. of woman that she was. It was a Syrophoenician woman that Jesus singled out as having great faith. Women were some of the last people at the cross of Jesus. Women were the first people at the tomb of Jesus. They were there to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus. In early church, women were deaconesses. Yes. There were prophetesses, the Bible yes. tells us. There were even ministry couples like Aquila and his wife. Apostolic Priscilla. ministry, yes. We know that. They're in the Bible. Paul summed it up, Pastor Chad, in Galatians 3.28, right? When he said there's neither Jew nor Greek. Would you read that for us and then just kind of share a little bit about many of your thoughts around um, specifically Galatians 3.28? Kind of talk us through that. Yeah, so uh, Galatians 3.28, it's coming out of the context of uh, faith in Christ, right. right? And the purpose of the Old Covenant law to lead us to justification by faith in Christ alone. You're all sons of God through faith, not by our works or obedience to the law of Moses. Then verse uh, 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Here, what Paul is doing is he's talking about the new creation humanity right. and the new people of God. See, in the old covenant, there was, in a sense, class system on those who could be used of God. Right. Right. And then, of course, you had the cultural barriers that you just mentioned. Right. What Paul is saying is that through the Messiah, through Jesus Christ, who's established a new humanity, that now there is a oneness in our identity that's been provided by God in Christ. And so now the basis of our qualification to be used in the mission of God and our basis and our right to be anointed and empowered by God's Spirit mm-hmm. is based on the identity and the oneness we now have in Christ. Yeah. That where there used to be barriers and distinctions on how we could be used of God, whether male or female, you know, you got to remember that the old covenant was given to the Jews, right? right? God drew the seed of Abraham to himself, formed them into a nation, right? gave them the law. Paul says in Romans 2 that what benefit did the Jew have? Well, they had been given the oracles of God. Yeah. And um, a Gentile, if they wanted to come under the old covenant, they could, but they still had limitations yeah. due to the fact that according to the flesh, they were a Gentile. Yeah. So then you also, of course, had distinctions of uh, slave or free. Uh, cultural realities limited one's liberty, one's opportunity, right? One's acceptance, one's value, yep. their identity, the label of how they were labeled. And then, of course, male and female 
uh, distinguished what you could do in society. You know, women couldn't be educated right. back in those times. That's why Paul, when he wrote even to Corinth, he, he tells the wives to not start asking the husbands questions in the gathering, mm-hmm. but wait until they got home. Mm-hmm. Why? Because uh, the women couldn't be educated. And in most of the early believers, a lot of them, they couldn't even read or write. Yeah. And so all of these distinctions that society would label or that would dictate how you could be used of God, those distinctions have come down, have been broken down through what God has accomplished in Christ Jesus. So now we have this identity that we are all now children of God. Right. We have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness. We have been declared righteous and then made righteous through the new birth. We now all have access to the throne of grace. Right. And so because of that and because of the sufficiency of the blood, we all now can be empowered by the anointing and the work of the Holy Spirit. So it's talking about now our spiritual inheritance. Now that reality of the new creation doesn't remove uh, the fact that still culturally in relating to man that I'm still a male. Mm -hmm. So now you have people through gross perversion that's trying to take this out of context and move it into something that Paul didn't intend. An erasing of lines. Erasing of any lines and distinctions, right? Uh, Which is gross air. What he's saying, though, is that we're now Abraham's seed, and he goes and uh, b- before that in Galatians 3.14 and says, because of that, the blessing of Abraham, which is the promise of the Spirit, can come upon us. Yeah. Whether we're male or female, whether we're Jew or Gentile, we are all now a part of the priesthood of God. See, if I was born, Pastor Craig, in the Old Covenant, because I'm a Gentile, I would not be able to be a priest of God. No, no. Couldn't minister Then you had also many other distinctions. I have an amazing thumb. It's a big thumb. It's actually a a, a, def, a, a, a deformity, a of, deformity some of some sort. If I was a Jew but had this deformity, I still couldn't be a priest. Yeah. If you were female, you couldn't access right in yeah. certain uses of God. What Paul's saying now is those distinctions and walls have came down. Well, we are all and now Jesus qualified. Was foreshadowing that before he died. By the he way, was he because it, the beautiful thing and the unique thing about Jesus and his ministry is the new covenant's not established yet because it's established through the, him giving of his life, the yeah. shedding of his blood, his body that was broken. But he's fulfilling the old covenant, but he's transitioning and preparing them for the new covenant. Right. And so he's already foreshadowing and teaching things. And so that's why then you find him uh, elevating and enabling women in roles of dignity that culturally and traditionally even within the Jewish synagogues yeah. and things like that, was not allowed. Correct. And uh, I think it's interesting how the Scripture says that many prominent women, even some of them being Gentiles, uh, followed him. And the Chosen, actually, in season episode, uh, they're in season three right now. Yeah. They're actually doing a good job of communicating really? that. They're I showing seen some, it like, some really strong Gentile women that are coming out into the wilderness to follow Jesus. Good. Of course, they're having to put their own reputation on the line. They try to stay a secret, but they do a good job in The Chosen of showing that. Sweet. And and the reason why this is important is when it highlights prominent women, what you have is is you do have a masculine-dominated, like you just said, culture. And so and there's still some of that today, but you have women, prominent women, meaning they're married to prominent men, meaning— as today we would use the title trophy's wife, mm-hmm. a, a 
Trophy wife. Trophy wife. They're, they're looking for purpose. Yeah. Jesus gives them purpose. Yes. He elevates them. And that's why the text of Scripture highlights that he not only elevates women, but also prominent women, because through Christ, God gives in redemption purpose back to women yes. for the kingdom of God. And that's why people who still live in old, uh, old covenant thinking in terms of subjugating women or not allowing women voice or areas of leadership, it's all old creation practice. And yes. so that's what I always go it's back letter, to. It's yeah. and letter, and it kills spirituality. Yeah. It kills the reality of the new covenant, right? Right. What right. else do you yeah. go back to on that? Yeah, so 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 submission, first of all, is personal. We're looking at four attributes. Secondly, submission is practical. Okay. Practical. Uh-huh. So it it says wives submit to your own husbands. That's a practical role. So he's not suggesting that husbands are better. He's simply suggesting that roles differ. Right. Yeah. And so you mentioned this a minute ago. Submission's practical. And you say, Craig, how's it practical? Because we all do it. We all have to submit to 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 someone to go through life. So I started thinking. Thank you, Lord Jesus. First of all, he had to submit to his parents. Yes. I was taught in DP Kids, actually, this week in, in our church, and yeah. I talked about him submitting to his own parents yeah. as a young boy. Luke chapter 2 says Jesus went down with them to Nazareth. He was subject to them. He obediently submitted to his earthly parents, even though he's God. Jesus never said, Mom and Joseph, I'm God, okay? You're not. I can kind of do whatever I want. Have you not figured this out yet? No, he respected their role enough to subject himself to them. Then Jesus submitted himself to the Father. John 8, 29, I always do those things that please the Father. Jesus submitted himself to other people. Mark 10, 45, the Son of Man, Jesus said, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. That's ultimate submission, right? Given his life. Yeah. So what I'm trying to, to get at here, to get the submission to not be a bad word, right. is that submission's a part of life, a part of everyone's life. And it certainly is a part of the Christian in terms of our society. So, Pastor Chad, Romans 13 says, you and me, everyone must submit to the governing authorities. Whoever rebels against that governing authority rebels against God. On top of that, Christians are called to respond to church leadership. Hebrews 13, 17, this is always the weird verse to read when you're the pastor, right? Yeah, it's Obey your one. leaders, submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden. Chapter 6, verse 1, parents are to keep their children in submission. Children are to be subject to their parents. So here's the point that I'm trying to say is that all of us are called to submit, and none of us can ever fulfill God's purpose for our life without the spirit or attitude of submission. All of us, need me including, need the attitude of being submissive to something, someone, some authority. Uh, Charles Spurgeon uh, I think we all know Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. He said, a man is not far, watch this, a man is not far from the gates of heaven when he's fully submissive to the Lord's will. So that's where we begin. How submissive are we to the Lord himself? So so if we're talking about women now, right? We talked yep. about the men last week. I mean the fact that we call him Lord implies we are submissive as servants to his will. So, so back to this word submit that I mentioned a minute ago, Pastor Chad. It's yep. a military term. Now, that scares a lot of people. Just because it was used in a military sense does not give the husband the right to, to be the sergeant in the home, right? All right? You mouth off, woman, 20 push-ups. The word in Greek here, submit, it, it means to get under someone. So the idea, like you mentioned a minute ago, of protection yes. is to ultimately relinquish one's rights. And interestingly enough, I thought women are not told to obey their husbands. I'm going to be very careful here because— you know, we 
maybe have some husbands listen and give me the evil eye right now, but it says submit, right? And, and, and isn't that good enough? Well, certainly submission might include obedience. However, when Paul's speaking to children, Pastor Chad, he uses the word obey. Same passage, children obey your parents, different word in Greek. So submit is one word, wives. Obey is different word in Greek, which means willingly relinquish your rights. Those are different. When Paul speaks to slaves obeying their masters, he goes back to the obey word. When he speaks to wives, different words. So here's the point. Husbands, you can't treat your wives like children. Yeah, that's good. That's you good. can't treat your wives like servants. They're partners with you in the grace of life, right? She is your equal in every way, meaning she has the ability to speak to you and say to you what she wants to say. She has the ability to bring up to you and communicate to you whatever she needs to communicate. And that word, again, means to get up under someone. So submission is not about the superiority of the male. Mm-mm. It's about the functionality of the marriage. And the design of God. Yep, yep. And so... Let me, let me give a key verse, Pastor Chad, that I hope unlocks it for people. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. Uh-huh. I'm going to read it to you. Paul said this. He said, the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Once again, let me read it again. I don't want you to hear about it. The head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Now, I want you to think about what Paul's doing. The Father is the head of Christ, Jesus Christ. God the Father has authority over God the Son. Question, does God the Son have any less divinity than God the Father? No way. No. Does he have any less nature than God the Father? No. Mm-mm. We believe that the Father, the Son, the Spirit are co-eternal, co-equal. They're all equal. They're all eternal. But watch this. One relinquishes the rights to another. That's why Jesus said, I always do those things that please the Father. So yep. he understood the function and the role. So submission is personal, but then submission is practical. So when you hear that phrase that I used there with the 1 Corinthians passage in 11.3, anything come to mind? I know necessarily it just kind of engage when I, I said that today or about, you know, you mentioned earlier about the the functionality or the, the yeah. protection, anything that yeah. you'd like to kind of hash out there? Yeah, I mean, submission, part of it includes in life, but here we're talking about the married life, husband and wife, submitting to reality. Mm. We we live in a time where delusion is increasing. Mm. And when we talk about submission and husband and wife in the marriage context, it also means submitting to reality. Listen, as much as I maybe wanted to or ever would want to, to bear a child for Michelle and I in our marriage, it's impossible. Yeah. As a male... It's not even possible mm-hmm. for me to give birth to a child. Yeah. That's reality. So when you think about submission, part of it is submitting to the reality of how God's designed it to work. Yeah. It's very important. Yeah. Because, you know, a different example, but like Saul found in due time, it was very hard to keep kicking against the goats, meaning to keep kicking against the reality right. of who Jesus Christ was. Well, it's hard for us as followers in God's design of marriage to keep trying to go against reality. Yeah. So submission means to me also to to accept the reality, but also you you use the Hebrews thirteen eight. Yeah. Right about um, spiritual leaders yeah. and that obey, making and, it a joy for them. But yes, and that verse talks about their work. Mm-hmm. When you think about submission, 
part of the protection and the, and the I use the word liberty, the freedom that comes with understanding submission is notice there's work involved. Mm-hmm. When a wife submits to the husband willingly, she has just freed herself up from any sense of obligation for certain work. The responsibility now for the work falls on the husband. Mm-hmm. The point is this, you can't have in many areas of life two people trying to put four hands on the the task and work and it get done. Mm-hmm. Think about driving. You don't there's not two driver seats. Yeah, you can't have two sets right. of hands. But if you have two people trying to drive the car, guess what happens? Yeah. Freedom and liberality and a sense of peace and protection goes yeah, it becomes, instantly. It becomes destructive. So it's the same thing when it comes to submission. You talked about Jesus, and he says, I do all things to please the Father. And it wasn't that he was less in nature, right, oh, no. yeah, than sure. the Father. It was about roles yeah, and distinction. Correct. So a lot of people in culture today, when it comes male and female, they get the understanding that we can both be heirs of life. Same thing, husband and wives. We're both heirs of life, and we're both children of God. But there's a distinction between our value and who we are and the specific role that God's called us to do yeah. to help the marriage relationship Correct. move forward in the design of God. To run smoothly. Right? To run smoothly. And we talked about this before, but in John 7, when it comes to the protection, the reason Jesus was protected from any error or any unrighteousness is because he only sought to please the Father. Mm-hmm. Remember in John 7, he says, when you want to do God's will above everything else, it will protect you from error or unrighteousness. So here's the point. When we submit, or our wife submits to the design of God and the husband, it protects her mm-hmm. from deception and vulnerabilities yeah. and attacks that the enemy would love to bring in her life. Yeah. And so... um. Yeah. Let me say to you that now that we've looked at the fact of submission, um, that it's personal, right? Right. It's practical. What's now the third attribute? Yeah. So, so personal submission's practical. We've hit those. The third one, Pastor Chad, I see verse twenty-three, uh, verse twenty-four. I should say, the third attribute is submission is purposeful. Purposeful. So I'm using my P's again. I used yeah. M's last week. So personal, practical, purposeful. So he continues, the husband's the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body, the body of Christ, the church. Watch this. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands. So this is an illustration of submission. Notice the word as. The husband is the head of the wife as. That's a word of comparison. Yes. So he does this because somebody's going to say, well, so what's that like? I like, how is the husband the head? Like this. Like Jesus is the head of the church. We call that a simile in English, as yep. like or as. Now, that shouldn't scare you because verse 23, ladies, should bless you. Why? Because when you have husbands, Pastor Chad, that lead like Christ leads the church, submission is not a hard word to hear. No. Submission is the easiest word to hear. Why? It's like, oh, it's my natural response because he loves me enough to give his life for me. You're providing a context that helps serve the willingness of the wife to want to willingly submit. Yeah, but if husbands leave in a, lead in a domineering, self-serving way, they miss what Jesus has done for the church. And wives then who refuse to yield to their husband's leadership hide how the church should respond to Jesus Christ. So they're both together. So that's why I say submission's purposeful. What does that mean? 
what's the purpose of submission? So I thought I would just kind of give two two reasons. Okay. So two purposes. Number one, submission enables leadership. Enables. So meaning, if nobody submits, nobody leads. So I know plenty of wives who long, long for their husbands to lead. Many. But they don't let them lead. Yeah. So they're holding tight to that root, crying out, lead, 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 growling. Maybe the reason that the the husband isn't a good leader is because the wife hasn't become a good follower. Could be. Could be. Not always. Yeah, we've seen both ends. Yes. Right. And But remember, leadership requires somebody, always requires somebody to yield power and control to that leader. So it doesn't mean a leader is better than anybody else. Nope. Just like in a corporation, you have a leader. Doesn't mean he's better, but he is the leader. Now, some wives get so frustrated, and I realize we're, I'm a male and speaking now to females, but just hear my heart. Some wives get so frustrated, ultimately, uh, with their husband's leadership that I've almost heard them say, man, I've, I've heard them close to, close to saying, well, you know, if he'd just do what I tell him, he'd be a great leader. Mm. Well, can you see the problem? Sometimes a wife has the best husband, but usually a wife makes the best of the husband she has. Like, we're all fallen people. We're all fallen creatures. We all make mistakes. We all need grace. But when I submit, it enables his leadership. It allows for that to take place. So one of the things my wife always says, right, I'm going to speak in her absence right now, but in her place, I guess. She always says that, hey, for all the other wives, that when you are in relationship with your husband, you can either speak to the pauper or the king. And he will respond to whichever one you speak to. If you speak to the king in him, he's going to live up to the king. And that's mm. what I guess what I'm trying to get at here is yeah. that submission enables his leadership. In some sense, when I come to him and I'm clearly communicating that I'm, let me say it this way, I'm tender in person and violent in prayer. So we might have a wife that's listening today who wants her husband to take greater leadership. Yeah. But if she disrespects him, right? We talked last last episode about how men become in an environment of respect. So in effort to try to get him to do something, I disrespect him. He's not going to become something that I'm desiring him to be. But if I man, can be, do you respond well to that? No, I know no. I don't. Yeah, yeah. It's the number. That's the mega need of the man is respect. Man, right? Just like the mega need of the woman is security. The mega need of the man is respect. So listen, women have every right to be their husband's equal in every way. You can say to your husband whatever bothers you. The problem is, is if you've now shared with him what bothers you, and then you disrespect, or let's say it this way, you share with him what bothers you, and then you become the Holy Spirit to try to apply that to his life, you disrespect. Or push him into it. Yeah. Coerce him into it. So I always say you be, you be tender in your speech, and then be violent in prayer. So let the hounds of heaven get after him, right? After I've been very tender in person and personality, I then become violent in my prayer, my prayer place. That's the first, uh, I guess, purpose of, of submission is enables leadership. Number two is it points to Jesus. Yeah. So verse 31, go down to that again. Uh, we looked at it uh, last episode, but for this reason, Paul's quoting Genesis 2. A man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. And verse 32 is the key. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. In other words, Paul says, what I just said about marriage is an illustration of how Christ and the church are one. So marriage is modeled after redemption, but marriage points to redemption. It shows it off. It shows how redemption works. Jesus' sacrificial love, Pastor Chad, is a model for husbands. The church's submission to Christ is a model for wives. 
And I started thinking, it's also like the human body, Pastor Chad. Notice it says he's the savior of the body. So let me ask you this. If a human body does not respond to the direction of the head, what do we call that? We call it a disease. Yeah. So if somebody's hand is not responding to the brain, we call that a crippled hand. It's crippled. It's, it's dysfunctional, right? It's not working. Like the body responds to the head, the church responds to the head, Christ. So the wife has to respond to the husband. Why? Because it reveals Christ. So the purpose of marriage, again, is to reveal God, to be a demonstration of the gospel. The purpose, Let me say it this way. The purpose of marriage is to make God look good. So in how many marriages does God look good? Hmm. That's a great question. That's the purpose of it, all right? So for our listeners today, or watchers if you're on YouTube, does your marriage make God look good? What encouragement would you give when you hear me say that to wives? I know we, we talked a lot to the husbands last episode. What, yeah. what encouragement would you give to wives if they were to answer that question? Does my marriage make God look good? Well, I think it helps you frame the everyday tension and circumstances of marriage with the eternal purpose of God. Meaning when it talks about what you just said about reflecting Christ, Christ is the showbread of God. Right. And everything that God's doing, he's trying to put Christ on display. Mm. God designed marriage to put Christ on display. Right. Right. And so, the eternal purpose of God is to put Christ on display. And so when things are difficult and the different seasons of marriage, seasons of life, to be able to frame your role in the design of God with the eternal purpose that God wants to use me in my marriage mm. to make Christ known. Yeah. In unbelieving world, our priorities make, become clear then. At least helps. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know personally and even scripture. Molehills stay molehills, though. How to make it through all the seasons of life and deal with all the molehills or things of life without living with an eternal perspective. Yeah. Right. It'd be good, it's too easy to get weighed down in the temporary cares of life. So understanding this purpose that you just talked about yeah. for submission would help the wife live with the bigger eternal perspective and eternal perspective provides a sense of motivation. Yeah. You know, it's not that God's call for any of our life or God's invitation for any of our life is always going to be easy, Mm. but it's a worthwhile task when you see it through the eternal perspective Mm. that it can display Christ. Right. You know, that it can make him known. So, um, what else you want me to speak to here? Yeah, so so I, I think that's the first three. If we can look at the fourth um, kind of attribute of submission, which is provisional. And I know this will kind of spur some real good conversation from you because I think this is a, a passion of yours. So if we looked at personal, practical, and purposeful. Yeah, let me make one point oh, yeah, about the practical that yeah. stood out. I was reading okay, this. I didn't see it earlier. But uh, I'm reading now the New King James yep. in verse 33 when it says, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular mm. so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. That in particular stood out. Mm. That's, that is personal. Yeah. What it's saying is, is find the particular way of how to love your wife, husbands, yep. and wives find the particular way of how to respect your husband. You're right. Yeah. Very personal. Meaning... The way you might want to be respected 
by Meredith is different than maybe the way I want to be respected by, by Michelle. And the only way you know that is you become a student of your spouse. Particular. Yeah. Personal. Yep. So, uh, all right. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, so yeah, so fourth attribute is is that submission's provisional. Okay. And I know this is going to protect the listener's mind because what I mean by that is there's boundaries to that submission. Yeah. So, some of us, we've read it, we've read this passage, and you're like, oh, I don't see any boundaries. I've looked at verse 24, and it says, watch this, Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands. What's the last two words? In everything. Well, that sounds like without qualification, Pastor Craig. Well, if you read just that one verse and walked away from that passage, you might think that. You'd be wrong. But in everything has context. So every text has context, right? So yep. if, you, if you separate the good old adages, if you separate text from context, you have a pretext. You can make it say anything you want it to say. But there's something that goes within everything. If you go back to verse 21, Pastor Chad, it says, we are to submit to one another out of reverence for God in yep. the fear of the Lord. Verse 22, wives submit to your husbands in correspondence to the Lord. Verse 24, as the church is subject to Christ. Let me add another to the mix. It's not in this text, but in the book of Colossians. Colossians 3.18, wives submit to your husbands. Listen to this, as is fitting in the Lord. Right. Right? So therefore, the everything in verse 24 is in context with the character of that's not contrary to to God's character. So if you have a husband, mm-hmm. I think it would be bad if we ended this podcast without him this part. If you have a husband saying to his wife, don't read that Bible ever. Don't ever go to church. In fact, come out once a week with me and drink at the bar. Neglect the kids while we are at it. Her response to him is like the apostles in Jerusalem. What do they say? We must obey God. Better to obey God than man. Than man, right? So there's boundaries. That's what I'm trying to get. Yep. There are parameters. There's a provisional statement here. And what is that? Christ is the absolute authority in a marriage, not a husband. Yep. If, Christ is. If you couldn't do that as to the Lord, then it would not fit doing that for the husband. Yep. Illegal, immoral, yep. heretical, unethical. Yep. Right? Is a great framework. Yep. Um, so, so the husband does not replace Christ as the woman's supreme authority, meaning she's, she must never follow her husband's leadership into sin. So, correct. But even where a Christian wife may have to stand with Christ against the sinful will of her husband, she can still have a spirit of submission. Yes. She can watch, watch this. She can show by her attitude and behavior that she does not like resisting his will. It's not like fun for her. And she longs for him to forsake sin. She longs for him to lead in righteousness so that her disposition to honor him as head can produce harmony. Right? Yeah. And still, that's what Peter, by the way, I think what Peter meant in First Peter chapter 3, he says, Wives, be submissive to your husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they're unbelievers. They may be won over without words by the behavior of their right, wives. Conduct. He, right? He calls it the chaste, the pure the pure conduct of their wives, yes. right? So I'm not going to obey, the wife says, I'm not going to obey you in that sinful attitude or that sinful thing. I'm not going to neglect my kids and go to the bar. I'm not going to go get stoned with you every week. I'm going to read my Bible even if you don't want me to read my Bible. But I really want to submit to you and I'm going to still honor you in the best way I can. That's a hard road to walk in, Pastor Chad. It is, and it's a cross, and many of our sisters you know, are... Having That's to, what I wanted to, to get at. I have cross. that conversation with a lot of people. Sure. In our church, in a lot of other churches. Sure, and you have the, the two aspects of it. You have those sisters who are dealing with an unbelieving yep. uh, spouse, 
And Paul says, hey, if they'll continue to be married to you and, you know, um, you know, don't physically abuse you or emotionally abuse you, stay married. Yeah. Right. Don't seek uh, to get out of the marriage. But then you have those who are with a husband who has confessed Christ. Right. But is maybe not a kingdom disciple or a growing disciple or, you know, is, is resistant to moving forward in some of the aspects of God's will. And it's not what Peter's saying in First Peter three that you can't speak truth in love, right? It's not that the wife has to forfeit her opinion or her ability to express her concerns to the husband. What Peter's also cur- curbing there is any sense that through nagging, yes, or through after you've communicated truth, you be the enforcer. and your stand to continue to think the more I say it, the more it will accomplish. Yeah. And we mentioned in a previous episode that part of the reality of God, how he's designed us, is that men are the seed bearers Mm -hmm. physically and and women are the wombs, the receivers. Meaning the primary way that men get influenced to change is not by words. It is not through that. And that's what Peter's getting after. He's saying, now here's the other thing. We know through research, we mentioned this, that women talk more. Mm -hmm. And this is why marriage again represents Christ the mystery of Christ because the cross of Christ is the way for what is unnatural for men and women or or for women in this context I'm talking about. The cross is the way to cut away what's natural and to invite the supernatural ability of God into the situation for change. Right. So what Peter's saying is it's unnatural for you to not talk so much, to think you through your words can influence your husband, but God has provided the cross of Christ to cut that inclination and that you through your conduct, your work, begin a powerful promise in first Peter three, begin to influence him. Yeah. And, and you sow seed, not through words, but through fruit, because what's in every fruit. Yeah. Seed. Yeah, seed. And what he's saying is, is that the way for the seed of God's spirit and influence to get in a husband, the primary way is not through the word or the teaching of the wife through words. It's through the work and the fruit of how she serves and the context she creates that God uses that to break down the hardness and yeah. the resistance in a husband yeah. to the reality of what marriage ultimately is about the truth of Christ in yeah. his character uh and the gospel. And so yeah. Um yeah, so so uh, so some we, so submission in that sense sometimes can be very difficult. We use this kind of high example. So what I thought would be good, Pastor Chad, is to take it down a notch. Okay. So let's take it away from your husband telling you to get drunk and abuse the kids. Of course you're not going to do that. But let's say your husband's asking you to exercise unwise leadership like what is a wife to do? So how is a wife to respond if her husband's overspending and dwindling all the family resources? What if he's neglecting family priorities? What if he's avoiding spiritual leadership? By submitting to leadership like that appears unwise. She's not saying it's okay. She's not saying I'm good with it, right? What she is saying is I can't deal with this, but God can deal with this. So what I'm going to do is take it out of my hands, put it in God's hands, I'm putting you, husband, in God's hands. And I wanted to encourage women today because we see this. I mean, we had this conversation is when you can't trust visible leadership, you can still trust invisible leadership. So where you can't trust human authority, 
you can trust divine authority, mm-hmm. and God will honor that, right? And we've seen this many times, that that idea of as to the Lord, I can trust him. I can trust God, and I can entrust my husband to God, right? But that's hard line. It's a really challenging line. Um, and I'll tell you what, if I were a husband and I had a wife, Pastor Chad, who said, I got to say, I'm, I'm just saying, if I'm a husband, my wife says, I got to say to you, you are making some unwise decisions, but I love you and I'll go along with you, but I'm placing all of what you're doing on the Lord. You're responsible before God. And for me to feel the weight of that, like I'm going to be very careful how I walk. Like that, that, that in itself already, when you talk about the chase behavior mm-hmm. rather than words, brings a sense of weightiness to my decisions that I think might be what the Apostle Paul is getting at here in his, his idea of submission. Yeah, it's sort of, you know, one of the hard sayings of Jesus when he talks about, you know, if, if, if you're commanded to go one mile go where two. the soldier go two. Yeah. What he's talking about is that there's a type of, of fruit of the kingdom that the seed because seeds in every fruit yep that the seed that's sown in that type of fruit is so humbling to a person right it's so convicting it it, it becomes so reflective right to a person of their sense of what they think is right or just or the injustice that they're asking someone to do and the power of the the mystery of Christ in the gospel is that through that taking up the cross in that way, how the Holy Spirit, because the cross is the power of God and yeah. the wisdom of God. And when we when we do that in any areas and in wives in the context we're talking about, we're trusting that the cross is the wisdom and the power of God beyond what we naturally think would be the wise way to change our husband. Yes, of course. Or would be the powerful way to change our husband. We are putting trust in the gospel Mm -hmm. and the mystery of it in breaking through. Um, You know, when when God blessed Adam and, and Eve in Genesis, he gave them both dominion. So any of these designation and roles after the fall. It's not that women don't have dominion over the devil in Christ. It's not that they are not bearing the image of God and that they're not creators. In fact, Paul, when he talks about the marriage relationship, he tells the wives to be homemakers, mm-hmm. meaning they're creators. Yeah, Wives create the, the culture, the, the the feel, the warmth, or the lack of warmth, the environment of the home. So just where we've talked about before how husbands in their role and their God-honoring role helps create an environment that brings out the best in the wife, the wife through creating, mm-hmm. right, and, and their role in God's design for the home can also, like you talk about, begin to bring out the king and the best in the husband. Yes, yes. And so wives are empowered. Wives, in a sense, obviously can create and lead, but it's within the designated roles after now sin has came in. Yeah, yeah. And um, Well, I was thinking, Pastor Chad, 
what seems like the hardest word in a marriage, which is submission, can actually become the healthiest word in a marriage when a wife has a submissive attitude even towards unwise leadership by her willingness to want to submit to him. That pure behavior, a, a man who's not making right decisions, can win him over to the Lord. And and I know that sounds like a fairy tale, but I, I tell you, Pastor Chad, I don't want to disclose the names, but I have freedom to disclose the situation. Yeah, We baptize a man in this church right over in the altar of our church who, because of a terrible situation where he confided in a pastor previous to the service about some challenges of his life, the pastor got up on stage that same Sunday mm. and confessed his sin to the whole congregation. That man turned from Christ for 25 years. Wow. He came back to the Lord. We baptized him here. It was mm-hmm. unbelievably powerful moments. His wife weeping uncontrollably. And I never forget, ultimately, her having that conversation and saying, hey, it worked one- like." Literally, my obedience to just stay submitted to even my husband and unwise, 25 years, this obedient direction from the Lord, it won this husband back to the Lord. Yeah. And that moment of redemption was, I mean, you can't put it on a scale, right? And that's kingdom work. Oh, yeah. It's overwhelming. And that's cross-bearing. Yes. That leads to resurrection or life being ministered to another. And so so it's not just that example. I know you could probably pull up a myriad of examples. I've seen uh, amazing examples, having served in multiple contexts of women who've remained submissive to, again, unwise leadership in their home. Some of them five years, some of them several decades, yeah. and the the first Peter promise came to pass. God yeah. performed His word. So you mentioned like the practical, yeah. like bringing it down. Yeah. So let's say, like you said, the financial matters. Yep. The the first thing a wife is empowered to communicate her concerns to the husband. Right. So you would go and say, "Hey, Bill, I I need you to understand that I love you and I'm for you yeah. and I'm for our marriage. Yeah. And I want God's best for us." And according to God's, you know, word, I cannot celebrate, right? That decision. Of what you're doing financially. I support you as a person, but the way you're handling money is not God's best in plan. And so based on then the response of the husband, well, you know, I hear you understand, but I'm going to continue. Then the wife would continue to take another step Mm -hmm. practically. And it would be, based on if there's kids involved and they need to Take have their the needs yeah. met, of going back and say, listen, I'm for our marriage. I believe in us. I'm not going anywhere. I, I love you. But in this area, I'm going to have to set this boundary that I'm going to have to, when it comes to the money I make at my job or whatever, begin to get an account to protect money so that I know then when it comes to the needs of the kids, they're being met. Yeah. Right. And that's what I was getting at with submission is provisional. That's the provision is that it's not just carte blanche submission. No way. That's not outside what's fitting to the Lord. Correct. If someone's doing something destructive, mm-hmm. uh, love is not to just celebrate and seek to empower, and make it easier for that person to do it. Yeah. That's a hard word, especially it, in marriages and parents. Parenting is even harder. No doubt. Yeah. And so, um, but being able to to do those boundaries, you know, great books, boundaries, yep. helps people, how to have the hard conversation. 
Boundaries, yeah. just so that way the listeners can hear, is a is a, a book, very well known book. Henry right? Clown, yeah, and John Townsend. John Townsend, yeah, they and co-wrote they have, that one. Yeah, and they have um, you know several how to have the hard conversation things like that. They could help knowing stages and see that's what's so beautiful about God and in His gospel and His word is that in each of the contexts that we can relate to people, so like church life, married life, it sets these kingdom protocols Mm -hmm. of how to go and communicate and how to continue to add boundaries or things like that practically based on the needs at hand. And so, you know, maybe you're listening and and, um, you're dealing with a difficult situation. I would say um, if you need help, reach out to the spiritual leaders in in, in the church you attend or get Mm -hmm. those resources. If right now you're not confident enough to know how to communicate the truth in a respectful and yet submissive spirit uh, way. And and submission, again, is more than just what we do. Yeah. And so you cannot do what a husband maybe is doing or asking you to do and still be completely submissive biblical. Yeah. Because your attitude is, I still love you. I still want the best for us. And I'm still going to honor you. I'm not going to intentionally disrespect you or you know, anything, but I'm not going to go along yep. with you in that. And I think that because willing, it's that's the point. That's the, that's what I'm trying to get is that willingness to have that statement towards your husband that I'm not taking responsibility for your actions because I don't agree with them all, but I want so much in my heart to consistently remain submitted to you. And I stand with us in this yes. marriage. Yes. And so that's where, you know, Pastor Chad, we talked last episode is that in premarital counseling, I always tell people, you're not committing yourself to the other person when you get to the altar. You're committing to the two of you. Yeah. So the person you marry on your wedding day will not be that person three years from now. Well, Michelle married me. I didn't hunt. Yeah. I so mean, if you're committing to that person, you're only committed for that day. Because that person's only that person that day. That's right. But you're committed to the two of you. And that's why it's called a covenant. Yeah. And you and you accept random fluctuations as normal. It's normal. People change. People right? change. People grow. Yeah. But you're committed learn. to the two of us. And that's why you don't get a better definition of marriage than what Jesus already gave. It Paul quotes here. Like the husband leaves father and mother. Father and mother. So he's making a decision to have autonomy. He's got a job. He's got his life in order. What is he doing? He's cleaving to his wife. It's the illustration of a of a um, uh, person at the circus. What do they call the? Uh, I keep saying trapeze artist. Is it? Yeah, yeah trapeze it. artist. Trapeze. Yeah. So you're you're letting go of of one pole to grab hold of the other pole. Yeah. You can't remain with parents, or you get ripped in half. Nope. You know, and so there's such beauty in that definition that we as children of God don't have any reason to redefine marriage. There's all no. about redefinition of marriage in our day and age, and that's. That's hubris, right? It's arrogance. That's pride. It's destructive and, yeah. and prideful, and it leads to so much bad fruit, yeah. unfortunately, in people's lives and society. Um, and we realize we're talking today, last episode as well, we're talking about real-world issues. People that are listening today, these are very sensitive This issues. is right into our world. Yeah, and so I know that it ministers to people, and I want people to hear from yeah. us today. And don't get confused. You know, oneness in marriage is not sameness in agreement. Mm-hmm. The oneness is that we're on the same team. Correct. We have a common enemy. It's not each other. That's it. We're on the same team, and we are both empowered in God's kingdom, yet because of sin in this age, we have unique roles and responsibilities in God's redemptive plan in Christ, and therefore we don't need to compete and try to take over another person's role or that. When we stay within the role that God has designed for us in this age, 
and we remember we're one, the gospel mm-hmm. can be seen in the marriage relationship. Can you imagine how happy and how joyful God is when we talk about things like this and somebody's watching today who's wanting to take steps to get a healthier marriage because generationally how much it blesses the next generation, how Correct. kids receive from a home in which Christ is honored, right? And the family serves Christ faithfully. Like if we just do marriage the way God intends, I mean the generational blessing that happens in our lives, and, and God is so well-pleased with that. He so is. the work that husbands and wives are doing, even by listening to this podcast, it's holy work. Of course. We had we had a couple communicate that that's what they did this week is they just listened. to They came to my house this week, and they said, well, this is the first one we sit down together and listen to. Awesome. It. And uh, that's holy work. A desire to grow yeah. is a desire that comes from God. Yeah. If it's wanting to grow in His ways and His kingdom, For sure. it's the work of His Spirit amongst sure. a person. Well, any final closing thoughts from you, Pastor Chad? I was going to pray for marriages. I had you pray for husbands last yeah. week. I was going to pray for marriages today, but any 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 final thoughts that you have? Just again, the, the framework of marriage in the plan of God is about the bread of heaven, Christ. Mm. And I think so much failure in marriages and, and unhappiness in an individual in marriage and conflict is we're moving away from the eternal purpose of the marriage mm. And that the gospel is always calling us to move away from self yeah. and move to Christ and others. Yep. And I'm the least fulfilled in my marriage when I'm consumed with self mm. and forgetting the bigger picture of Christ and then forgetting what he's empowered my role and function to be mm-hmm. and seeking to then find the particular way of loving my wife. That's the irony of life is that the more self-centered I am, the more miserable I become. Miserable. Yeah. I mean, the more I look within, the more I get depressed. Yeah. Right, Corey Ten Boone? Yeah. So that's what I would just humbly remind us is the gospel is centered on what God the Father has accomplished in Christ that's now communicated to us by the Spirit. Right. And it's moving us away from self-centeredness and a self-centered world. And a marriage that can realize, hey, it's not just about am I happy and it's all my needs, but learning to be other focused because God's always focused on us in Christ becomes a beautiful picture of the reality of the gospel to others. Amen. Well, let me pray for marriages as we close today. Father, I just want to thank you right now for husbands and wives. Lord, they made a covenant with each other. They've since discovered that it's just not easy to do. No, it's difficult. It's not easy to love as Christ loved. It's not easy to submit as the church submits to Jesus because she realizes, man, I didn't marry Jesus and this man's not perfect. But Father, I pray that the tender hearted willingness and submissiveness would rule the day. Yes, Lord. And that even if some don't believe the word, as Peter said, some husbands don't believe the word, they would be ruled or won over by their wife's attitude, by willingness, even without words of a godly wife. You said the pure behavior. I pray, Lord, you would heal relationships for people that are struggling today and need healing. I pray for your healing balm of Gilead to touch marriages. I pray you would resolve difficulties, help marriages to fight fairly, give them good techniques and abilities to grow and to fight fairly and to resolve conflict. And I pray, Lord, that at the end of our day, at the end of our life, at the end of our marriages, our relationships would make you look good. Yes, Lord. They would be reflections of your glorious grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. Well, listen, that's a wrap on episode, episode six, six, right, of season one. So we've got two more episodes, nice. episode seven and eight. 
And that's going to conclude season one, and then we're going to continue on our journey in season two. So we pray you've been blessed. Let's if talk. You are. Yeah, if you are, take this YouTube link um, and share it, right? Share it in long form. We, you know, we put out all kinds of repurposed content via Instagram and and uh, Twitter and Facebook as well. But if you're mm-hmm. able to take this and share with somebody that's a blessing in your life, uh, we would love for them to join the conversation with again. And, and we'll be back next time for Let's Talk with the Craigs. Bless you.